You know, when it feels heavy, surrender to the wild within you. Turn off the bright screens. Turn on that primal rage inside and use it to paint a new world, to write a new, fresh destiny in alignment with who you want to become. Rip off all of your clothes and run naked where the trees watch over your magic and hold you and protect you and give you a sense of security. Lather your body in mud. Chant dances with the the fire. Collect the sacred coals and mix them with flower petals and rub them all over your body. Use the ash tribally. Pray to the elements, the directions, the ancestors. It's all love and honey. It's all part of your creativity. I'm Heath Armstrong, and this is Never Stop Peaking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt. If you behave, you'll get a nickel you can spend on stuff. And in time, you'll get a dime if you impress your boss. So you can buy some more stuff just to numb your thoughts. You've been a space-driven higgity hunk of me since birth. Flying through the universe on a rock called Earth. Composed of stardust with an emotional gut. Why you letting conformity slam you up the butt? You're not one fucks, two fucks, red fucks, blue fucks. You can play duck hunt and wait around for luck. Or you can rent a big truck and drive your vision. Build a palace to the moon. While your schmuck friends piss their pants Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty Take a chance for your freedom, make it milk that booby Cause when the fear attacks, it tries to crack what you're thinking Fuck no, you'll never stop peeking Yeah, what kind of people are you surrounding yourself with? What was the last time that you actually feel like you were in a situation that just felt dirty or out of place or weird because of what you were doing with yourself in service to someone else, maybe giving up your energy, doing as you're told, when you can't really see the top of that pyramid, where is your energy going? Where is your time going? This precious time, the greatest form of abundance that you have. Life isn't about waiting for someone else to come and wipe your ass. And it's certainly not about you wiping someone else's ass. Life is about knowing what you want and going loony in your pursuit of it because you care about it. Because it means something to you. Because it means something to the world. Because it's better than what we're currently doing. But how often do you feel like you might be lost in somebody else's tornado? People can be the most powerful asset in your arsenal. But there's lots of people that are looking at you like an asset for their arsenal. And if you're not careful, they can take control of you and your direction and flood out your potential. If you don't have your own plan, you're going to become dependent on others making plans for you. And then whose life are you really living? You got to do your best to to hone in on what really matters to you. Detach that pretty little mouth from the 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 tits of community and explore your your own mission and your own objectives and and surround yourself with a a crew that will help your spaceship blast to the moon, the one that you believe in, the one that you created, the one that you made to make something better, to improve your life one step at a time. 
it's always important to to be honest and, and care and love for those that support you, but always remember that you are in control of where your rocket is heading. You can choose any star that you want. Don't give all your rocket power to those that are around you. You're a motherfucking force to be reckoned with, yo. When stress shows when when stress stress shows up, you say, "Dear stress, fuck you." Cheerios. I'm out. And you go crush like a fruit by the f- foot by the park. Like do some pogo sticking. Slam dunk a fucking basketball. Like you are here to rage, to learn, to create magical things. You can't do that if you are stuck in a rut of what somebody else wants you to be doing. Those ruts usually end in you whining, procrastinating, thinking about better things that could be happening without actually taking action. You can't create the beauty in the world that you want to bring in if you're whining, if you're picking your butt, if you're spilling tubes of ice cream all over your chest and they're running down to your waist and then you're like, oh, why is this ice cream on my waist? But then some dude named Tom is walking down the street and smells it because it's like this sweet dairy ice cream on your waist and then wants to totally like put his tongue all over your waist and then you just start freaking out and you try to me too him. But then like somebody else is watching down the street and they have a different point of view and they say that you were the one that was getting me too and then you end up in jail for harassing this dude that originally wanted to lick the ice cream off of your waist all because you were just eating the ice cream and procrastinating and, and now you're in the sex offender database forever like don't let that happen you have to start somewhere you have to, you have to begin being and owning your creativities without anyone else's help. And you can overcome stress by doing this. Where does that start? It starts with writing. For me, it starts with writing. Writing is the foundation for all things because thoughts come into your head like downloads, right? Have you ever been up early in the morning when everyone else is sleeping and the sun hasn't risen yet? And that that sun is the most explosive form of consciousness nearest to you. And if you think that the planets aren't conscious, but you are, you... you, (laughs) you got to really rearrange the way that you think because this idea that us, because we're humans and we have this like consciousness that's superior to anything else, it's actually, it's, it's insanely ridiculous. Nature is conscious. The sun is conscious. And that power, when it comes up in the morning, if you're awake for that, you are receiving that energy. That's the energy you need to instigate your creations. That's the energy that you need to become one with your purpose. You get those downloads early on, put them into writing. You're in the shower, you're touching water that's going through the pipes and then it's touching the ground and it's grounding you to the earth. You get more ideas. Put those in writing. Get some bathtub crayons in your bathtub. When something comes into your head, put it in writing. You can always go back to it and get new ideas for sharing. That's what I do with everything. I have notebooks everywhere. I carry them with me. I have apps on my phone in case I don't have something to write with. But everything that I have ever created to move myself out of the concrete construction industry and into this type of lifestyle started with me listening to what the universe was sending into my head, making notes, and then going back and reviewing it. A lot of the stuff you hear on this podcast, it's all little seeds that were planted at some point 
when I wasn't on the podcast. I wrote them down. I go back. I open the notebook. I get the thought back in my head, and then I can create something out of it. So are you doing that? Can you do it better? You have to start somewhere. That somewhere is writing. When you root deeply within your writing, there's no reason to fear the wind that tries to knock you off track. If you're feeling down or depressed or lost or stressed, think about some of the most common things in your life that can get your juices flowing, that can get you writing again. You know, when did you stop laughing? Why did you stop singing? When was the last time you shook your bones on the dance floor that is always available in your bedroom or your kitchen or your yard? When did you stop writing? When did you stop sharing stories around the campfire? When did you stop loving the solitude, the reset, the silence? All is calm before the storm. Wake up and watch that sunrise. But if you do nothing else, write the things down that come into your head. And that's why I'm so excited to have this interview today with Jay Thorne. Jay is a very special dude. And he has dedicated his life, after he went through his mass transformation, to helping others become better writers to helping others learn how to tell their story, how to craft their stories. And I have so much respect for what he does. It's quite impressive. Really, 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 really impressive. Jay works with, or he he had a project where he worked with Lily, who's my editor on most of the things that I create. Um, And Lily's got a new book coming out She's been working on it forever because it's her life story called Seven Years Running, and he helped her with some of the editing on that. I met Jay in person at StoryGrid in Nashville, which is really cool, and Stephen Pressfield came, and we got to watch him talk. Um, I'd heard a lot about Jay through Lily, but I never met him in person until this event, and it was really exciting, and it's just the, the bond has grown. I have a lot of respect for what he does, and I see a lot of similarities in the way that his mind works in mine, I can look at him and say, I want to be that place at some point in my life. I want to develop to the point that he's at. I want to learn like he dedicates himself to learning, but I also want to teach like he dedicates himself to teaching. He's so humble because you try to ask him questions about the things that he's made and all he wants to talk about is helping other people. And that's really, really cool. He's got massive amounts of books out. Um, some of the stuff to help writers in general, you can actually get a free, if you go to theauthorlife.com, you have a free guide up there for how to self-publish um, tied to a book that he has, how to self-publish. He's got one called Planning Your Collaborative Novel, Secret Powers of the Author Mastermind, uh, The Three-Story Method, The Author Life. He has a whole plethora of, of horror and fiction that he writes as well on Amazon, which I'll link to in the show notes at heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast. Um, Dustfall series, like post-apocalyptic stuff. His mind is fascinating. It's fascinating. And to me, like I look at the the way that stories unfold through the hero's journey. And it's like, how do people craft such, such, what's the word? Moving. How do people craft such moving stories? How does it get in and like really make you feel alive? 
it's not just a, a, a skill set that's random. It's something that is studied and it's something that is put into action by these brilliant minds like Jay Thorne. It's the whole story grid idea. It's the hero's journey that if you pick up a Joseph Campbell book and you start reading, you know, a hero with a thousand faces is a good example. It's all of these mythology tales that, that are really just representations of real life. You can throw the word fantasy in there, but it's, it's like this is what we go through in our journey of life. These are the roller coasters. These are the demons that we face. These are the angels that we meet. And this is how it all unfolds. It's right here. But what's the science behind that? And Jay helps authors figure that out and put it into stories and make it effective. So quick note, I am traveling right now and the mic that I had hooked up to record this interview for some reason didn't activate when I was recording. So it recorded through my native MacBook mic. It doesn't sound terrible. You might not even know a difference, but Tamir, I can hear it. Um, so just that's why if I, on my end, sound a little bit muffled. Jay's mic sounds incredible. And yeah, I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Jay. If you're not familiar with him, I'm going to hit some music and we're going to get right into it. But because Jay is so humble, he doesn't really share all the things that he does or creates in the episode. I'm going to share a little bit more about him and then we'll get right into it. So he is an author in horror and science fiction, action, adventure, fantasy. He's been in the top ranks. He's published over 2 million words and has sold more than 185,000 books worldwide. In March of 2014, he held the number five position in horror alongside his childhood idols like Dean Koontz and Stephen King, uh, both incredible like visionaries, right? And he's an official member of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, uh, the Horror Writers Association, and the Great Lakes Association of Horror Writers. And yeah, he's, he's a part-time professor at John Carroll University, co-owner of Molten Universe Media. He's a podcaster, an FM radio DJ, a musician, and a full-time writer, among other things. A father and really just an overall amazing friend. So we'll get right into it. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stinkity stinkity rickety dickity beat. Yeah! here because it does seem a little bit crazy that the last time I saw you in person was at Story Grid in Nashville, which I think, I, I don't know, was that about a year ago? Was it a little bit over a year ago? It might have been coming up on two years ago, right? Really? Oh, see, that that makes even less sense in my head, which <laughs> makes makes it probably true. Yeah, it'll be, um, it's like a year and a half, a year and a half. <laughs> Dude, uh, that's crazy. I was thinking it was like last fall, but <laughs> I guess maybe somewhere in last summer, I guess. Uh, but it was before all this mayhem. I, I I was sitting in that parking lot and I saw a few people walking in that looked all business attire and dressed <laughs> up. And I got a little bit nervous because I was like, well, I didn't know anything about it really. Um, I, I was familiar with Tim Grawl and Sean, 
but I wasn't familiar with story grid mainly because my writing wasn't, you know, I wasn't basing it around fiction. I was kind of like, I'm learning storytelling, but it's in a nonfiction type way to this point, although I have plans totally to move in that direction as well. But I was wearing a, a t-shirt. I knew Lily and Lily had invited me to it. And so I kind of went, thought maybe honorary quarter might've been there. Um, it was cool that they added Stephen Pressfield in at the end. Uh, that was a surprise. But I was wearing a t-shirt and I had my long blonde flowing locks flapping in the wind <laughs> with my window down a little bit. And I was panicking a little bit like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe am I going to feel weird? Cause I, I really am a, a really strong introvert despite if someone listens to my creations, they might think that I'm extroverted. I'm really not. Um, I'm an extreme introvert. And then, you know, you pulled up in the parking lot, right? The spot right next to me out of that entire <laughs> giant parking lot. And I didn't know who you were, but I saw you get out and your hair was even more ridiculously amazing than my hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you were also, I think, wearing a t-shirt, you were rocking a t-shirt and you were just, you know, raging inside like a maniac. And I was like, fuck yeah, this dude, he knows what's up. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I can get away with this. And so when I got into the writing event, I eventually ended up meeting you through Lily. And I, it was just hilarious to know that like you were Jay Thorne because I'd heard so much about you through her and your work in editing with her. Uh, in her book, Seven Years Running, which she's finally uh, coming to, I think, a finishing round on, Yeah, um, which is amazing. And it was just, it was hilarious. And it made so much sense to me. So it's cool to have you here. And, and I'm really excited. So thank you for for coming on. Oh, well, hey, man, thanks for the invite. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think we ended up having lunch together that day, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. And like, whole yeah. Foods, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In, in, in the Franklin Whole Foods. And, and I, you know, you go to you go to different events or you uh, go to conferences. And um, I'm like you, I'm, I'm an INTJ. I'm a pretty severe introvert. But those are the places where I feel like, okay, I have to, I have to engage. Otherwise, what's the point of coming here? And, um, and you so I put myself in those situations where I, I engage with people. And most people are super polite. And most people are very interesting. But there's always a certain small percentage of people who you click with instantly, and and that you were that for me. Like at, at that conference, you were the person I met where I was like, boom! I know where this guy's coming from. I know like I know what your values are, and we were just sort of really aligned right from the beginning. <laughs> that does that does make a lot of sense. And there's some topics along that I think we can get into in this conversation because. Um, some of the things that we had briefly got to connect about are, are, you know, they're close for me. And there's, there are many anchors that, that you represent. And I can tell that you're successful um, with these things. And I'd love to get into some of those, obviously your writing and editing career being a bulk of that, but also your ability to, to be a leader and a teacher and helping others architect and bring their creations to life, which is something that I try my best to learn and do as well. And all of the stuff that you do in the background that kind of keeps you strong. And like, I can tell you've been through some shit and it got you to where you're at. And you know how to keep yourself from waking up, you know, face down, pants down in the resistance bushes. Um, <laughs> even though like, you know, it's always right around the corner. It could be, but, but you're, you're constantly working on that. But first I kind of just want to start off with a, a banger to connect the dots a little bit. I mean, we, we started sharing briefly a little bit about, um, I think it was 
along the lines of having an addictive personality trait, which a lot of yep. deep creatives do. And I remember, if I remember correctly, um, you had talked a little bit about your past and, and numbing yourself, at least uh, that's what I was call what I was doing to myself with through substances or, or alcohol abuse or whatever. Um, and, and sort of like doing that because you had led this life that was doing something that you were taught to do right within society. And you eventually broke down and broke through that with your creative pursuits, which is, uh, it's something that I experienced firsthand. And I think so many of us do, um, what, what was it like growing up and trying to discover yourself in that darkness? And what was that transition like when you summoned all of your strength towards that new creative pursuit, which became, you know, who you are today? Ooh, man, that's a great question. Uh, what was it like? Um, I, I, maybe for a little context, this, this will help. I, I'm the oldest of uh, three kids and my uh, parents, uh, my mom is still alive. My dad's passed, but my parents uh, grew up in Western Pennsylvania, specifically in the Pittsburgh area. And uh, this is a broad generalization, but a lot of people who grow up in Western PA, never leave Western PA. Uh, there's a, there's sort of a provincial element there where people they're born, they live and they die within a five mile radius. And like, and that's just how people live there. And, uh, and my dad worked, um, in, he, he did factory work. Neither of my parents had a college degree. My mom, uh, babysat kids when we were little and, and I came from a very, uh, very strong blue collar working class family. And, you know, I watched my dad get up and work, you know, from four, a shift from four to 11 every Saturday morning for like 12 years in a row. And, and so as I was growing up, there, there was this sort of, uh, this, this mindset that like you, you know, you grabbed your lunch pail, you, you punched the clock and you did your damn job. And like, you came home and you just shut up about it. And like, you didn't, you know, you didn't do frou-frou things like, like painting or writing or making music, like <laughs> that's not real work, you know? And from, from the time, uh, as far back as I can remember, I just, I was just not cut out that way. You know, uh, I can't speak for my brother and my sister, but I always felt like the black sheep, like I didn't belong. I, I didn't have those same set of values. And, and so I think I spent most of my adult life in the first half of it, trying to push that shit down and, 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 and pretend that, I cared about that stuff. Pretend that I cared about what the Steelers did on Sunday and who was at the bar on, on, on Friday night. And like, and I never really did. I, that was not what I cared about, but um, I was kind of forced into that mold. And I ended up being the first kid on both sides of the family to, to get a college uh, education that carried some baggage with it as well. Uh, credit to my parents. I mean, they, they knew how important that was and they, they provided that for me, but they never understood it. And so I was constantly butting heads with my parents about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And I remember having, you know, knock down drag out fights with my parents about the length of my hair when I was a teenager. And I remember <laughs> saying like, who cares how long my hair is? It's not how people judge you. And my parents are like, yeah, but people in church are going to be talking about us when they see you. Like, that was, that was the, that was where I was. Uh, and so no, not surprisingly, like, like you and a lot of other people who get into that situation, alcohol became my coping mechanism. And I, I was never, 
I, you know, I was never institutionalized. I didn't wrap a car around a telephone pole. But uh, by the time I was in well into my 30s, I mean, I was drinking a six pack or two a couple nights a week, um, not going out and doing crazy shit, like just just drinking a lot. And uh, and I, I hit a I hit a moment in 2004. Uh, it was on New Year's Eve 2004. My son was about a year and a half old and I had just finished, I don't know, my seventh or eighth beer and I'm sitting on the couch and I put it down and I look up and he's standing there holding an unopened beer that he got from the fridge oh. and no lie, dude, I, I just started crying. I'm like that, like, that's what he was learning. Like, okay, dad's finished, bring him another beer. And, and, and that was it. I, um, that was my, I didn't open that beer. I poured the rest of them down the drain and I haven't had a drink since. And I think that was, you know, that's where it all came to a head. And then, you know, a few years later is when I started getting into, into writing and starting to self-publish. But I, I feel like I had to climb out of that hole and break free of that mold before I could even consider it. Oh, dude, that's so fascinating. I mean, I, I always say love your dragon instead of trying to slay it because when we, we love our dragons or our shadow or these things that we have crawled, you know, these holes we've crawled into, it sort of allows them the space to step aside and, and give us a hug and access everything that we've wanted on the upside. Um, instead of the dragon burning us with its breath of fire, it kind of gives us a little <laughs> bit of that fire to rage forward in our pursuits and creativity on the latter side of that, which you moved into, it's, it's a way to channel deep pain and anxiety and fear and depression into something beautiful. Because when we create, we are releasing all of these emotions that are stuck inside of us, this stagnant energy that we've been trying to suppress. Um, and it really, it releases and, and basically creates new space inside of us to bring something positive in, to heal, to learn, to grow. Um, how did you, and essentially how do you, because I know the journey always has an ongoing monster that is lurking. How do you use your discomforts or insecurities or scars from those experiences that you had from your past or even your current shadow to, to heal and ultimately create and, and write better? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I do it. Um, I can't articulate that, but what I, what I can tell you is that I, I had to have those experiences. Like I, I don't regret any of that. I, I was a hellion uh, as a teenager. I mean, I got, I got good grades. I went to a state college. I got a degree, but I was the kid who like never took a book home, was partying every weekend and <laughs> managing to hold it together because the, the expectations at, at the public high school where I graduated were so low that I could do that, which is shameful. But, um, you know, I, so I had, I had this, I, I did a lot of stupid shit and there are a lot of things I did I'm, I'm ashamed of and I don't even, <laughs> I don't even talk about. Um, you know, there are stories I haven't even told my wife because I'm like, I mean, I was a kid then, but still like there's, you know, when, when you're in that, when you're in that dark place, you do things that you, that you wouldn't do otherwise. And when I started to getting, when I started exploring my creativity more, and this wasn't until my mid thirties, so it took me a long time. Uh, but when I started writing music and, and playing in bands regularly and, and starting to write, I drew on those and, and all of those years of pent up frustration and confusion and pain, I, I had to work through those and I did it through my art. And, uh, you know, I've had some therapy here and there, but, but nothing consistent. And, but it's the art that's been there consistently for me, whether I'm listening to my favorite bands or whether I'm writing my own stories, 
that's where I'm working through a lot of these. And this, this might be, I have no scientific backing for this. And, and this is a bit controversial. <laughs> and I know some people are going to, might bristle when they hear this. I really feel like the best art comes through the worst pain. And, and like, if you haven't had, if you haven't been rock bottom in whatever, however you define that for your own experience, I don't think you're tapping into a rich vein of creativity. I, like I said, I know that's, I, I know that sounds terrible and I'm not suggesting people go out and get, get, you know, get themselves shit faced and in, in major trouble just so they can be more creative. But when I look back at it, it's my darkest moments that are sort of working themselves out through my art and continue to work themselves through my art. Yeah. You know, you can't touch taste heaven without, Deep, reaching deeply into the roots of hell sometimes. And I, I think that is hero's journey. You know, that's, that is, you have to go to those places. You got to go to the underworld to yeah. be able to find that calling and keep rolling. And I mean, for me, a lot of that is it's universal synchronicity. Like what are these signs in the world and what is my intuition saying? And, and how do I show up and meet my muse and how do I show up and just be there for channeling that creativity? Because creating does make you, heal. I mean, it really does. I don't think it's woo at all that, that you would say that. Um, I understand it. And I, I think it, there's been a large chunk of my life where I didn't understand it. And, and that's yeah. the gate. It's like, how, how do you react when you walk through that gate? Like when you feel your worst, how do you react? And I hope that the answer to that for most people can be by painting, by writing, by playing music, by going and jumping butt naked out in the forest and rolling <laughs> around in the mud. Uh, because experience is, is what's going to relieve torture. I mean, it really is. Um, I'm curious, yeah. what, what's the first thing or the first time, I guess, that you ever wrote where you thought, wow, I might want to take this direction of becoming what I call a writer or, or creating for a living? Did you believe that was possible uh, to use that as an anchor for a career, despite you know what was taught to you growing up in Western PA? Yeah, I, I didn't reach, I didn't reach that moment until decades later. Uh, you know, I ended up uh, in, in uh, 2016, you know, I, I went to my wife and I said, uh, you know, I want to, I want to quit my job and do this writing thing. And, and God bless her. She, she supported me, but like I had um, I had the equivalent of like a three month severance package, and that was it. And at that time, I was making about two hundred dollars a month, and you know we had a mortgage and, and two kids and car payments, and it was a ridiculous thing to even suggest. And and she supported me, and and I and I did that. Um, and I, I'm a I'm a pretty disciplined person. Uh, I'm an Aries, so I bull my way through everything, and and I kind of figured like, okay, I'm either gonna make this happen or I'm not. Like those are really the only two possible outcomes. And and you know, if I can't make this happen, I'll just go get a job. Like that's you know, that's not the word. It it, it wasn't rocket science. It, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a brain surgeon with, with people's lives in my hands. I just said, okay, if I fail at this, then I'll I'll just go do something else. But but what I ha what happened is I look back and and this is coming out now as I work with clients and I work with other creatives who are looking to develop multiple revenue streams and reinvent themselves. And what I say to people all the time is the seeds are there. They've been there from, from your earliest memories. What you have to do is identify them and you have to pull that theme together. So for example, for me, I, when I look back over, over my life, 
there are two things that come up over and over again that I've that I didn't see until just a few years ago. It's writing and teaching. Those two things have been a core part of my identity my entire life. Uh, I I can remember, like when I was in college, I wrote for the I wrote op-ed pieces for the school newspaper, and this was pre-internet, which meant that when that issue when the when the uh, Pitt News was published every day, and to you know a campus of thirty thousand students and kids were hanging out in the student union reading papers. I was getting, you know, I was I, I had uh, I had vi- quote unquote viral articles on on actual newsprint, and I remember the rush I got from that and thinking that like, wow, what I'm saying, what I'm writing can can help or change people, and and I think that that sort of communication aspect ties into the teaching as well. You know, when I used to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was uh, you know nine, ten, eleven years old. I never wanted to be a player. I always wanted to be the dungeon master. I always wanted to be the guy who was creating the stories and helping people through and teaching them how to navigate as opposed to being sort of the more passive recipient of, of whatever the gameplay was. So uh, it's been there for me all along. I would, I would assume it's there for you. And I'll bet if people think back uh, across their lives, they, they, will, they will notice these things. And I think we're in a moment now in time where everyone has an opportunity to kind of revisit that and maybe, and maybe reinvent themselves. Yeah. It's like, we're, we're born into this world as this pure being with massive amounts of senses that are all going to lead to some sort of creativity because that's the purpose. Right. Yeah. But then all these layers start getting piled upon us by billboards and, you know, you, you can call it religions or like there's, political systems, educational systems, like even family oriented stuff. And it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's just a lot of times it's just people wanting to help, but it is a layer that gets put on top of you. And then it seems like when that rebirth happens, it's this idea of clawing those layers away one at a time. And so you can get back to that core that you were with your senses thriving and feel what that's like, you know, how does that relate to creating and and I, yeah, I can connect dots. It's really interesting. When I first started doing an entrepreneurial pursuit, I had a friend who told me to start writing down all my skill sets and drawing circles around them and like going back as far as I can remember things I liked when I was a kid and then like tools that I had learned and then start connecting them together and, you know, basically how they came about in my life. And you could see how everything does connect at some point. And, I mean, I worked in the concrete construction industry for so many years. Um, but before that, like I was doing some things that were writing related, even though I didn't think I could be a writer. I remember writing poetry when I was younger and sharing it yeah. with people. I remember writing a poem about my obsession with Hanson and their hair in college. And then the, <laughs> the professor thinking it was so ridiculous that he made me read it in front of the class. And then everybody laughing, really nobody laughing at first, but then one dude in the back laughed out of nowhere. And he laughed so hard that he farted. And then the rest of the class started laughing. And I was like, you know what, <laughs> that ridiculous poem turned into like this, this memory uh, for these people that are probably going to leave this class and talk about how ridiculous it was. Um, but yeah, it, it all does kind of connect the dots. And it's, it's, it's really exhilarating when you, when you start to realize that and use it towards, uh, you know, making a, a staple to not just do it for yourself, but to do it for others, which I think is something that you have really crafted um, in your pursuits. I look yeah. at you and I think, oh, you, go ahead if you had. No, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I think that's, um, 
you know, as I un, as I grow and learn and continue to 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 work on myself, I think that is the the realization I've had in literally like the past six to nine months. I, I think one of the things that the pandemic has done for me has forced a level of introspection that I haven't been able to tap into or hadn't wanted to explore up until this point. And uh, as a hardcore introvert and someone who prided himself on being extremely independent and a lone wolf, and I don't need anybody. <laughs> and, I, and I think what's happened for me over, over the, literally over the past six to nine months is I've had this awakening that, that, that it, all it's about is helping other people. That's it. That's all. That's, that's the only reason we're here is to help other people. And that's going to look different for different people. And, and based on your skill set, you're going to be able to help people in different ways. And, you know, writing beautiful poems that helps someone out of a, out of a mental funk or, uh, you know, ha- keep someone from putting their head in a noose, like that's helping people too. Like, it's not just about, you know, direct instruction, education, but just, uh, just helping people. I think that's why we're all here. Oh, it is. It's like be of service to other others. You know, what does Ramdas always say? Love everybody and tell the truth. I, I look at you and I think, you know, this guy's a baller, obviously, but also a leader. <laughs> and I've only scratched the surface of your work and and all the things that you do with with horror writing. Or, I guess, do you do some fantasy writing too, or is it kind of one in the same? Yeah, I, I write I write a lot of dark fiction, so it does kind of tend to sprinkle across several genres. I mean, you have so, yeah, and, and like how you hold yourself together um, is big, but I know you've got practices in place that help you do all the dances that you do, which I'd love to get into in this conversation too, if we can. You crush writing, you, you beast out music, you run a sweet writing community, which I've just joined that Lily made me aware of, which is, which is really <laughs> awesome for accountability. Um, whether that be through, whether you're doing your craft through editing or storytelling or architecting creative approaches or helping with inspiration, you know, you're there leading. And, and I really truly think like true leaders do not parade around trying to convince other people to believe in them, which is something we see a lot in the world. True leaders do whatever they can to help others believe in themselves. And that's something that I see when I talk to you, when I hang out with you, when I look at your work, um, you kind of shared how much it means to you to help other people. And a lot of that in, I guess, in what I do with this podcast and my work is like trying to share things that we do within our own life that could help them um, manage, maybe making some changes that could, that could benefit them. So um, do you have any type of practices in place that help expand your consciousness to allow you to, to manage so well, you know, to, to create such magnificent stories or characters, but also to, you know, you're doing, you're doing all of these things at once. How do you not go absolutely fucking insane and like start, (laughs) you know, punching holes in walls and things like that? Well, first I want to say thank you. Uh, That was very kind thing to say. I, uh, I take great pride in, in being an unspoken leader. Uh, And I learned this from, from having kids. Um, one of the things that, that you, hopefully you realize, not everyone does, but hopefully you realize when you're, when you're raising children is that it doesn't at all matter what you say, it matters what you do. Uh, you, you can, you can tell kids, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't, you know, don't act like a fucking idiot. But if you're drinking and smoking and acting like a fucking idiot, that's what they're learning. It, yeah. it, it's all about modeling. And 
and and that's something I've 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 learned and that I continue to employ. So in the communities that you're talking about and in places where people might view me as a leader, I'm really uncomfortable with that label and, and I, I don't even address it. Um, <laughs> and I, I like I, I don't want to be uh, yeah, I don't want to be that quote unquote internet influencer. I just want to be someone who um, does shit and people go, oh my God, like that guy's only got 24 hours in a day and he's got a family. How is he doing that? And then looking into what I'm doing. And if any part of what I'm doing helps them, that to me is leadership. Um, it's not about fiery speeches and you know getting a platform and having X number of followers on social media. It's, it's about being a model for other people who haven't quite figured it out yet or haven't gotten along on that journey. Um, so I take that very seriously and, and I take that as a compliment. So thanks for saying that. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, talking from what I see and, and what yeah. I feel. It's, it's good. Yeah. And to, to answer your question specifically, I, I need a lot of internal support. I am, uh, those who know me well know that I am not a big fan of resolutions or goal setting um, because I feel like those kind of things are short-sighted and, and temporary. I, I'm much more in the camp of if you build a system, then you don't have to make decisions. The system will yeah. take care of you, right? So, uh, so I have several, many systems in place. And once, once you get locked into that, then you are creating those routines and those habits that are gonna, going to lead to long-term success. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, every single morning um, without fail, and I, I don't know what my streak is, it's years, but uh, I meditate for 30 minutes. And I don't, um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but I don't use apps or programs. I, I kind of feel like, you know, people were meditating thousands of years ago and they kind of did it without anything. So I, I don't need anything <laughs> special. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sit down in silence for 30 minutes. Now I, I use a timer on my phone, but that, that's about it. Um, but like that, and, and that's like, you're not going to sit down for 30 minutes and then uh, meditate for 30 minutes and then like jump up and go, wow, all my problems are solved. But if you do that repeatedly, day in and day out, when you start to feel overwhelmed and you start to feel that pressure, that training kicks in. And, and so instead of saying, my goal is to meditate uh, for 16 minutes this month and 17 minutes next month, I just say, no, I'm going to put a system in place where as soon as I get up, I meditate uh, and I'm going to reap the benefits of that. Um, so, so that's one. Um, uh, another one is exercise. And, and it, that's changed for me a lot, but now I'm, I'm running. And so I run, I walk or run five days a week and, uh, and I have a system for that. And, uh, you know, I'm in training for a marathon. Uh, I'm not an athlete. I never was. Um, but I'm now, you know, I'm, I'm running, you know, miles, uh, every, every time I do it, that's, that's part of my system. Um, I had, uh, I was diagnosed with gout a few years ago because I was eating like a teenager. And, um, and it, so I have completely cleaned up my diet. I, uh, I've eliminated all sugar, all processed foods, most wheats uh, and grains, uh, most dairy. And I, and I basically eat, uh, you know, clean proteins and, and vegetables and fresh, fresh vegetables and fruit. So these are all things that, you know, if I, if I set a goal of like, okay, I'm going to lose X number of pounds and then I do it, then where do I go from there? And that's why diets don't work. And that's why people lose weight and then put the weight back on because 
a, a goal is self-defeating, especially once you reach it. So I'm all about creating systems and habits and, and these spill over into my professional life as well around writing and music. And so when people look and they say, oh my goodness, you know, how are you getting all that stuff done? And I'm like, well, because I've structured it that way. I made a decision and, and I put that structure in place and I hold myself to it. <laughs> You're speaking my language, man. I <laughs> Habits, obviously systems in general from business side of things like delegating and like running things and being able to step back and see it live and breathe is one thing, but it all could not be possible without my diligence of, of or my discipline of personal habits. And I also don't like to put stress on myself to reach a certain objective more. So I like to have visions and feel what it's like in my head when I'm meditating to be living that type of vision. And yes. then therefore, because that's in place, I'm naturally making decisions in life that move me towards that because that's what's on my mind. Right. Um, as opposed to watching, you know, political television or any, I mean, just consuming yourself with all these other things around you that want to take your energy from you. Um, I'm looking at my mantras and I'm saying my mantras and I'm, I'm speaking my core visions out loud in meditation every morning. And therefore I do take actions to move towards those visions. I mean, it's like, you know, I made an affirmation deck, but you give any normal affirmation to somebody, they're going to say it out loud a few times and expect something to come like pop into their life. But yeah, that's not how right. affirmations work. You have to get your emotions into them. You have to get your grit into them. You have to carve your affirmations based on what you truly want to bring to life. And then you have to be willing to sacrifice and take action to help bring those to life. I mean, that's the part that most of us, we just bail on and that's where resistance comes in and fear comes in and things like that. So yeah, that's cool, I, I, man. I totally agree. And, and I think that's, you know, the key is to try and take the decision-making process out of any system that you build, because as soon as you give yourself a choice, you're going to choose the path of least resistance. That's how we're wired. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, that's not a negative trait for anyone. We're all like that, myself included. So like, you know, I, I'm, I, I was a big fan of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits that came out a few years mm. ago, but there was nothing in there that surprised me. And I was, I was kind of surprised that it hit the zeitgeist the way it did, because I was like, dude, this is just common sense. <laughs> you know, like it, example, like if, if you decide I want to work out in the morning uh, and then like you put your workout clothes at the foot of your bed or like you put your workout clothes where you have to step over them, like you force yourself to make a decision you don't want to make. Otherwise, you just go into the flow of it. And, and that's such a simple premise. And, and I'm always surprised that so many people don't don't use that kind of personal leverage in more ways. Yeah, it really comes down to breaking your habit of hesitation, right? Learning how right. to just do it. And um, <laughs> it is effective, but it's also something that it, like that resistance really doesn't ever go away. I mean, even I did work out this morning and it took me a couple of days of not working out to muster up the energy to be like, fuck it, I'm doing it. You know, I'm going yeah. out there, even though it's cold, I'm going to do this. Um but it, it's, yeah, it's roller coasters of experiences in life that, that lead us to these places that allow us to, to create these systems. And um, that's really, really cool. I'm, I'm curious about a little bit about your work um, in, in your portfolio of what you've created, just for people listening to explore. And as I move into, so I, I haven't ever really been a fiction reader. Um, I like really dark stuff. I have a feeling 
some, you know, like you do. Um, I don't know why that is, but I'm, I'm tied to it a lot, but I've also, I've really just filled that void a lot with, with uh, nonfiction because uh, there's so many fucked up true things that happen that I can read about. <laughs> but, you know, when I get into like, I'm a huge Cormac McCarthy fan. And, and yes. I, when I read him and I, I know he's from Tennessee, which is where I grew up. And I, I understand that dialect so well. And, and I, I can see myself doing, I mean, not to his caliber. I mean, who knows? You never know. But what he does with his dialect and his storytelling, is so fascinating to me. Um, you've, you've, you've written so much and you started, I guess you said you started writing in your mid thirties, which I'm 34 right now. And I kind of started my adventure around, you know, 30 or 28. Um, yeah. What, what all do you have out there? I mean, I know that's kind of an impossible question because you probably have so much, uh, how, do you have a number of how many books you've been able to go through since then or, or what, maybe it'd be easier to ask, like what's your personal favorite creative work that you've ever gone through the process of creating and, and why was that process stand out so much from other, you know, creations? Wow. That's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's sort of, there's two, there's two elements to the, to the, to my work. One of them is, is storytelling, in in uh, in the realm of fiction, and the other one is education and nonfiction. And I, I think now, and over the past couple of years, as I've had this sort of awakening, uh, I'm definitely putting more emphasis and more of my energy into the nonfiction and, and helping other people. But um, but the first ten years that I that I started on this journey, uh, you know, I was very very focused on fiction and. It's a bit hard to quantify just because of the the technical nature of of the publishing industry these days. What is a quote unquote book is is sort of nebulous. Um, what what the way I like to describe it when I when I'm asked like this question of how many books you have out and I go I don't really know and and people think it's a bit pretentious but uh, but it's the truth I I don't really know how many books I've published and um, because of the of the different formats and the way they're structured. Uh, but I, I do know that I've roughly published over 2 million words of fiction and I've, unpu- I've written and unpublished uh, probably another half a million words early on that um, I you know, didn't feel like made the cut. <laughs> um, so, so just this sort of raw productivity, like that's, um, you know, that, that's the output o- over 10 some years of being really committed to, to learning the craft. The, the question about like, what is, the, what is the thing I'm most proud of or you know, what, what is my favorite? It's a bit of a cop-out because it's kind of like asking me which kid is my favorite. Um, (laughs) but, but the truth is I'm always proud of the project I'm working on now because it's taken me everything I've done to get to that. Um, and so when I finish the project I'm working on now, my next proudest thing will be my next project that I'm working on. Uh, and, and I, and I think that's just how I, I like to look forward and I like to, uh, acknowledge the the work and the, the experience and the role that is had in in what I'm working on and when when I talk to more inexperienced authors or people who are towards the beginning of their of their writer journey I, I I try to counsel them and say like that first thing that you publish whether that's a book or a novella or uh, a guide or whatever it is it's gonna suck and you're gonna hate it uh, because that's how it goes. Like that's how it goes for everyone. So don't 
don't be so emotionally attached to it. Don't get defensive when someone criticizes it. Don't, don't think it's going to be the home run that's going to get you out of your cubicle because it probably won't be. And even if it is, it's not going to be something that you, that you lean on as, as your best work. Because if you're, if you're growing and you're changing and evolving, then, it's, then the best thing is always going to be the next thing you do. I love that answer. That's, that's life, right? It's like yeah. we, we're continuously evolving. If we can be happy or proud of where we're at, no matter what, because it is a series of connecting the dots of everything else that we've experienced, then we're always going to be at that place that we're the, feel the most proud of, which is going to impact our mind, our mental health, our creativity and things like that. Right. Um, what, what is the current project that you're working on? Just curious. Sure. Uh, I have, uh, I have, uh, say two and a half fiction projects I'm working on right now. Uh, one of them is a, is a, uh, a buddy of mine is rewriting a novel I published in 2011. Um, so that's the half project that's been kind of fun because he, he was sort of struggling with some first drafting during the pandemic. And he's like, man, if I only had a project to revise, I feel like that would get me out of my funk. And I was like, well, guess what I've got? <laughs> I'm like, I've got an unpublished trilogy. And, uh, and so, you know, long story short, we ended up uh, agreeing like, yeah, we're going to work on this together. So he's rewriting that. Um, so that, that's one thing. Um, another thing I'm doing is a bit of an experiment that, that was inspired by something Ray Bradbury said. Um, he was giving a talk to writers one time and he said that uh, the best thing you can do to improve your craft is to commit to writing one short story a week for a year. And he said, if you do that, uh, chances are you're going to end up with at least a couple of good stories because <laughs> statistically they all can't suck. Uh, so I'm uh, right now I'm committing to doing to writing a short story a week, uh, which is a, a different kind of writing for me. And, and that's that's been fun. I'm just at the beginning of that. Um, as we record, it's it's early 2021, and and that's going to be uh, 2021 is my year of of writing a short story, and then my my ongoing project, which is sort of the one that uh, is has sort of been most intensive, is um, I co-host a podcast with JD Barker called Writers Inc. And when uh, I met JD at Thriller Fest in uh, 2019, I believe it was. And uh, when we started working together, he was asking me what I was working on. And I said, I have this manuscript and, uh, and I pitched it to agents at Thriller Fest. And, and I got a few requests for reads, but uh, none of the agents wanted to pick it up. And he looked at it and he's like, he's like, man, I can help you with this. But he's like, honestly, um, it, on a scale of one to 10, if you revise the hell out of this, it's going to be about a seven. And he's like, a seven isn't good enough to get you a publishing contract. And I was like, okay, well, then I'll write something else. <laughs> And he was like, okay, great. Uh, and, and so that's what I've been working on. Um, it's a, a completely new project. It's kind of like a, a standalone uh, horror novel, maybe. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm nearing about the third uh, revision on that. And my intention with that project is to uh, query agents and hopefully have them sell it to a uh, traditional publisher. That's cool, dude. I, that, it's always a dream, right? Is to get to working through a bunch of self-publishing and then maybe deciding at some point to do something like that. I, I, I've had success with the affirmations deck and I just finished a second one, which I'm excited for self-publishing, nice. but I would also love for like a small publisher, like knock, knock books to come and say, Hey, we'll pick this up and put it next to affirmators on these shelves all over the stores. <laughs> like yeah, if my yeah. goal is to get it in as many people's hands as possible, um, 
and the goal isn't to make a bunch of money off of it, then, you know, that, that would be the most effective thing that I could go after. But, um, I have a good feeling for you. I think it's going to go well. Well, thanks, man. And I, you know, I, I've been very transparent with our podcast audience and, and with my writer community and saying like, I know what I'm doing. Like, I, I'm not under any illusion here. Like, I understand I would make way more money if I self-published this. And yeah. I understand I'm going to lose artistic control of certain elements. And I understand it's going to take them years to publish it. And I under, like, I get all of that. And I don't care about any of it. The, the whole reason I'm doing it is I want to see if I can play that game. I, I've been doing this on my own for over 10 years. And I want to see if I can play with the big boys. It's that simple. And uh, if I never make a dime from it, I don't really care. I, I've let go of the outcome and I'm just focusing on the process. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That excites me. That's so true too. Um, what kind of, what kind of madness do you step into when you write? Like, what is it? Do you have a specific like kind of ritual or routine when you write? That's sort of like a discipline when you go and pull your pants down and connect with your muse. Man, it's so boring, <laughs> but I like. I think it comes back to this idea of of systems. Um, I have sort of trained my brain uh, by by time, location, and ritual. Um, so I don't um, I don't go to coffee shops to write. I don't sit on the couch and write. I don't go lay on my bed and write. I write at my desk in my office. I do it at. Uh, pretty much the same time every time I do it with the same cup of coffee and I put my butt in the chair and I don't worry about how many words I'm going to get. I don't worry about whether the words I'm putting on the page suck or not. I'm basically sitting down and I'm saying my butt is in this chair and from you know this time to this time, I'm not allowed to get up. And so I can sit here and stare at the screen, uh, but I'm not checking social media. I'm not checking email. Like I can sit here and do nothing or I can sit here and type words. And, you know, uh, early on, uh, there were, there were sessions where I, you know, I got 10 words on the screen and I felt like shit about it. Uh, but over time I trained my brain and I trained my body and I said, this is where the work gets done. This is where the muse is going to show up. And if you're not here, you're going to miss her. Dude, that's powerful. And it's not boring. It sound, I guess it, look, it would look boring from the outside. Right. But it's, that's yeah. effective and it works for me because I also, I mean, it, I do get a benefit if I'm traveling and of course I'm getting ready to move into a van. And I do think that I'll have a benefit from, you know, being outside and seeing different landscapes, but I will still be sitting in the same booth that I'm building into the van, you know, with that same cup of coffee at the same time, right. probably. Yeah. Cause I'm a very true. much like first thing in the morning for me, like, wake up. And if I can do that first thing, then it just, it, the rest of the day, it just waterfalls into much more purposeful, creative driven. Um, and, and if I accomplish nothing else, the fact that I sat there and I did look at the screen, it, it helps me. It really helps me from a mental perspective. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all different and I know that people have different biorhythms and, and tendencies, but I would totally agree with you. I, whether it's writing or songwriting or painting or whatever, I, I really feel like doing your most important work as soon as you possibly can within your day. And, and when I say day, I mean, like if you're, if you're, if you sleep until noon and you don't go to bed until 4am then at noon, but like whatever, whatever the beginning of your day is, I think if you put your most purposeful, most impactful work first, then, then you're right. Anything after that is a win. It's just gravy. Yeah. I always talk about like 
two, not just talk about it, actually take action. Like what are the two most effective things I can do every day? And I don't do those things until after I write. So that shows you that, that writing is the most effective thing. It trumps everything because that is the, the foundation that stems off to ideas, to, you know, creative projects, to sharing medias via podcast or writing or, you know, books and anything like that. So, yes. Yeah. It's so cool. All right. So what, what is something that's, that's weird, that's not perhaps boring that you do that you would probably feel embarrassed to share on a podcast that contributes <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe it doesn't have anything to do with writing. I don't know. I just, that's. Uh, uh, okay. So here, he, yeah, this is, this is something I don't think I've talked about anywhere. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, but I don't care. Uh, what I, um, when I get up in the morning, uh, uh, I, I'm being extremely literal here. When I, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I drink uh, 16 ounces of water. So I have a, I have a, uh, a water uh, dispenser by my bed and I get up and I, and I drink a glass of water. I, uh, I use the restroom. I sit down and I meditate. And as soon as my meditation is up, I do my stretches to then go and do my run. So I have, I have meditated and I've run before I do anything else, even eating. And one of the ways that I've conditioned myself to be able to do this is I, I sleep in my workout clothes (laughs) (laughs) so that when I wake up, uh, after I meditate, I'm like, I am already my workout clothes. Like I, like what else am I going to do? Uh, and the, embar- the embarrassing part is they're not always clean. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes hey. there's the workout clothes from the day before, but but that like I, that's that's a that's a simple stupid little thing. But it's like you, it's you know, look in the mirror and yeah, and you and you're in your workout clothes, and it's like okay, I have to make a decision to change out of these to to do anything else. So I might as well go and do the run and then change out when I get back. so good yeah i mean i ultimately it's not you know it's not that gross to me that you might wear those for a couple days in a row i mean sometimes i like get warped into creative rampages or whatever and then i like find out that it's been five days since i've changed my clothes and i'm like (laughs) yeah someone has to tell me like hey uh, you should probably go shower you really start to smell (laughs) i'm like oh Oh, okay. <laughs> like, so yeah, like I haven't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a thing. It can happen and it's okay because getting warped into things that draw your attention in that much, if it's good, if it's creative, then I'm all for it. But, you know, if you're getting sucked into, you know, marathons of Jerry Springer and eating tubs of ice cream and shitting yourself, then probably not so good. Yeah. And, you know, and I stack the deck in my favor. So the, the running clothes is one element um, another element is that I love music, uh, and, and I can't necessarily listen to music when I write, but I, I listen to music a lot. And my rule is I can only, uh, I can't listen to music until I've listened to music while I'm working out. Uh, so I can't wait to work out because I know I get to listen to music. And if I don't work out, I can't listen to music until I do it. And, and then the, the third element is, I don't, I'm not allowed to eat until my workout is over. So I use those three levers of wearing my workout clothes to bed, uh, not allowing myself to listen to music until the workout's finished and not eating breakfast until I'm done. 
And when I put those three together, it's just a no, it's a no brainer. There's no decision to be made. It's just okay. I've I've meditated and now I'm going to go run. So yeah, that and you have a will. I mean, you have you have will and discipline to make that happen. Do you remember a time when you might not have been so strong to be able to do that? Um, because I, I think I guess I'm asking because there's a lot of people can say like that sounds awesome, but like I can't make myself do this. I can't overcome. Uh, you know, I'm just going to eat anyways. And, and I've been yeah. that person on both sides, but I'm very much like you now is like, I set boundaries and I, and I'm very hard on myself for it. And it can be a bit of an extremist approach, I guess, but it's effective. And the more I do it, the more I see the the fruits of it. Um, so do you have any tips for maybe somebody who would, who would think that they'd have the excuse of saying, I can't, or I would love to do that, but I can't. What's the easiest way to ease into it? Yeah, I absolutely do. And 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 I will say, like, uh, none of us just came out of the womb doing this. So, like, you didn't just start with your meditative practice. I didn't just start running four miles a day. Yeah. Like, you 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 have to start. Um. And, and so I think, you know, the most important thing is you've got to set you've got to get momentum going in your favor, and. And you, and you start with the smallest unit possible. So if you, let's use exercise for an example. If you say, well, you know, yeah, you, that's great. You run four miles a day, but I can't even walk down the steps or up the steps without, you know, breathing heavily. Okay, fine. And neither could I before I started. So what you do is you say, okay, um, starting tomorrow, I'm going to walk up and down the steps twice. And I'm, and I'm going to do that every morning before I even go to the bathroom. I'm just going to walk up and down the stairs twice. And then you're going to do that for a little bit and you're going to do it and you're going to go like, wow, this isn't really all that hard. Maybe I'll do it four times. And then, then four times is going to kind of become easy. And now, you've, now you're on your way. Because I, I think the problem that people have is they feel like they need to be motivated and then that's going to create uh, the willpower. It's the action that creates the motivation and the willpower. It's not the decision to make it. So as you start to build these small successes and as you start to feel better about yourself and what you're doing, that's going to, that's going to propel you. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean there aren't days where you say, ah, I'm not going to run today, or I'm not going to write today, but you know what? You got to hold yourself accountable and not make excuses either. And when I do that, I say to myself, okay, asshole, that's all right. You got a day. All right. You needed that. You couldn't run. You didn't feel well, whatever excuse <laughs> you want to use, but guess what you're doing tomorrow, tomorrow, you're getting right back in it. And, and I try and really keep myself uh, from, from going more than two or three days without, uh, without, you know, missing one of these elements, because that's when you start to slide back into bad habits. So I would say, first of all, recognize that, um, that it's, it's absolutely hard to start a habit for everyone all the time, everywhere. But the way that you do it is you start with the smallest unit possible and just commit to that. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first tried to run a mile, after like not running for years, like since I was a kid, I had a night, like it was the very big, I was probably like 26 or something. You would think any 26 year old should be able to run a mile. I was like <laughs> dying within like a quarter. I mean, not even probably was like a 10th of a mile. I tried to run from my neighborhood just to the park next door to it, which wasn't far. And by the time I got to the park, I was already just like heezing and it hurt. Like the wind yeah. pipes hurt, everything hurt. But then that slowly built up with a little bit of dedication every day. It, it built up to me doing half marathons. I never went as far as a full marathon because yeah. I, I blew my knee out in like the third half marathon. But 
um, you know, I learned a lot about my body. I learned a lot about what I was doing and maybe more so that I, I am much happier running on trails and not on a consistent, you know, uh, compounding concrete or right. something like that. Cause it's not, right. you know, not everybody's built the same. And for me, it's, I need my, you know, I need something softer, but, um, everything is just, it's just all a baby step and, and everything that you said is, is so potent. I mean, I, I love that people feel like they need motivation to create willpower, but it's the action that creates motivation that fuels the willpower. And that's so yeah. true. Yeah. It's you know, so I, have, true. I have a, a writer friend who was uh, looking at, you know, the, the short story project that I'm doing and, and I sort of uh, arbitrarily decided that, that every short story I write uh, this year is going to be, it's those weekly ones are going to be uh, 2,500 words. And he said, um, wow, that, you know, that, that's great. You're like a full-time writer. Like you can do that. But like, I, you know, I'm still working a day job. I have a family. Maybe, maybe I'll do that, but I'll only do it once a month. And I was like, dude, that's a bad idea. Like, what are you <laughs> going to do once a month? That's going to have any kind of impact. Like, are you going to only eat well once a month? Are you, are you going to go exercise once a month? Like th that's pointless. Like th that's not going to develop a habit. I said, why don't you scale it back? maybe instead of writing 2,500 words a week, maybe you write a 100 word piece of flash fiction every week. Just scale it down, start small, but you have to start and you have to stay consistent. That's the key. Yeah, I use, you know, you talked about James Clear's Atomic Habits earlier. He has a journal that went with that, I believe. And he had these habit trackers in there where, I mean, it was the same principle of what I had been doing personally on my own pieces of paper where I would actually write the habits that I wanted to bring into my life. And, and I would wake up in initial that I was aware that I was going to do those things like meditate exercise. And at the end of the night, I would come back and actually check them off and initial again. And by reviewing them in the beginning of the day, and the end of the day, it was very likely that I was going to accomplish a much higher percentage of those things than I would by not looking at them. Yes. So yeah, anybody who needs that kind of extra support, like I did just, get a piece of paper and write these things down and write, you know, 30 days out for the next month and, and check the box every day. It feels good. And even if you do one thing out of the 20 things that you think you're going to do, because, you know, we always put much bigger vision than we can actually comprehend at first. Even if you just do one small thing every day, it's better than doing nothing. So. Oh yeah. And, and like, I, I I've since dialed back, but I, at one point in the summer, I was, uh, I was running, I was doing 13 mile runs three days a week. And I did that for a few weeks. And, and then, and then like, I started, I started like getting some tightness in my chest and my hips started to ache. And I was like, okay, at my age, this is probably too much. I need to kind of dial it back. But I mentioned that only because when I started, I had the, the, the a notes app on my phone and I started by walking and I had a 30 minute walk. Um, and I would walk briskly. And then at one point I said, okay, in the middle of this 30 minute walk at the 15 minute mark, I'm going to run for one minute and then I'm going to walk for the 14. And I could barely run for a minute. I was gasping. Uh, my face was red. I was spitting after one minute. I couldn't run for one minute, at, but I, I made a, uh, a mark on my notes app and I was like, okay, one minute. And then I did that for like a week. And then I would add another minute and I would, I slowly built it up so that uh, I was running more than I was walking, but it was a gradual increase. And your point to record that made all the difference because I could look back and be like, oh my God, I couldn't run for a minute 
two months ago and now I'm running, you know, two miles. And then, then I would hit two miles. I'm like, okay, next week I'm going to run three miles. And I would do three miles for a few weeks. And I go, okay, next week I'm going to do four miles. And the whole time I'm tracking that. And that's, then that's motivating me because I can look back and see how far I've come and where I want to go. Yeah. When the, when the resistance scribblings sneak in and try to make you believe that you've never accomplished anything, you, you have that, that proof, that evidence that you actually did. Yeah, It's so funny how we can forget so quickly what we've accomplished, especially in the creative pursuits of things like. Oh yeah. And, it, and it's so mental. So much of it is mental. I mean, there are, I don't want to minimize physical limitations that people have. I have my own set of physical limitations, but the, every single run, when I was on the cusp of, uh, at one point I was bumping up my, my run by a mile a week and I would run like, let's say I would run five miles on a run and, the, and I would take a day of rest. And the day after that, I would be scheduled to run six miles. And I, I can remember being on that run in mile five going, there's no way in hell I can run six miles. I'm going to die at the end of five. There's no way I can run six. And then you know what? I would get in it and commit to it <laughs> and I would run six. And then yeah. and as I'm reaching the end of six, I'd be like, there's no way I can run seven. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's, that's true whether you're talking about, you know, publishing a novel or, or writing a book or starting a business, you know, the resistance is going to tell you there's no way you can do this. It's just impossible. Why even try? And most of that time it's bullshit. Yeah. And then it, life really is just this collective. Um, it's just this, it, it's almost like a collection of all of the things that you accomplished at the end of it. You can look back and see progress and like, you can become something so far beyond what you ever thought possible. And I know that because I've become something already and I have a lifestyle that I just at one point thought was impossible. Never right. would I have thought when I was 26 and I never left the country that I would be able to create business and work for myself and visit over 20 countries and write things and for a living over the next couple of years. Like that was not even a factor of possibility to me. But I started with that one step and that, that actually is, you never know how powerful that those little steps can be when they're put together over a long period of time. Right. And you have a growth mindset and, and, and so you're open to whatever the universe brings to you and, and you're, and you're also not limiting yourself with goals. So again, like, I, I don't mean to shit on goals, but I, I, I just find they're, they're really <laughs> self-defeating, you know, like if, uh, if you, if you set a goal to do a certain thing, it, it gives you tunnel vision and you miss opportunities because you're hyper-focused on a particular goal and you don't see the possibilities that are coming up around you. And, and so many of the, so much of the success that I've enjoyed in the way I define success has come from things I didn't even know I could do, let alone set a goal to do them. Uh, and that doesn't happen if you're hyper-focused on a certain metric that you think means success. And, and it's also, uh, the, the other problem with the goals is then you also lose when you reach them <laughs> because then what do you do? Right? Like there's this, okay, now what? And like you, you hear this story all the time, at least I do on, on podcasts and interviews of, of people who are world-class at something like they've won an Olympic medal and, and they trained their whole life and they thought, this is my goal. This is my goal. I want to win an Olympic medal. And then they do. And then they're like, okay, now what? Like, yeah, I, I did it. Like, okay. And, <laughs> It's it, like, it's a serious thing. Like there are stories all the time about people that hit that level of success, whether it's an Olympic gold medal or a sports trophy or a number one record or whatever it happens to be. And they look around and go, okay, now what? So I, I don't like, I, I'm not against success, but I, I just really feel like setting goals is, is just, 
it, it's fundamentally problematic and uh, and it it, it uh, clouds your ability to take uh, advantage of opportunities that come up. I think it's one of the big reasons why I interchange the word vision in goals a lot because goals are what most people think of as having a vision and working towards it. But in most senses, it is a very limiting thing like you're talking about. And when I approach my visions, a lot of people could look at that and say, oh, you're setting goals and you're working towards them. But I do it in a very visionary way. Like it's, yes. it's like, yeah, I have short-term quote unquote goals, but those are in alignment with my long-term quote unquote goals or visions, which are in alignment with my core values of who I want to become as a person and what I want to accomplish in this life. And all of that can be looked at and said, okay, those are all goals, you're goal oriented, but it's not necessarily true. Like I have a vision and, and I have a growth mindset and that's why it works. And I put my emotion and my action into it. Um, and I'm not putting myself in a box because if I see a vision and I'm not going to hit it by a certain time, the difference there is that I don't get all upset. I just know that that vision is going to take a little bit longer if I wanted to bring it into reality. And a lot of times with goals, hard goals, you know, it's like, oh, we didn't hit it. I'm a piece of shit. I should just go shove some Bud Light bottles up my asshole and butt chug them and then <laughs> ride off into the abyss with a bunch of, you know, my shitty friends who are eating fried chicken and, you know, shitting all over themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's so true. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I think about, um, you know, at one point, I, I think uh, very early on, I had a quote unquote goal. I said, okay, I want to I want to be a full-time fiction writer. Like that's my goal. I want to, I want to be able to uh, live and, and thrive with and, and support my family from fiction. Um, I failed. I haven't, I haven't accomplished that goal. Um, I, I'm a total fa failure when it comes to that. I don't support my family on my fiction. I support my family on all of the things that I do. So the difference is I, I, I never say like, I want to be, uh, my goal is to be a full-time fiction writer. I said, my vision is to be in control of my own lifestyle. That yeah. is different than saying I want to be a full-time fiction writer because that is a vision that I've manifested, but that's not a goal. Yeah. Perfect. Perfectly said. Jay, dude, I appreciate it. Um, I could talk to you forever, obviously. <laughs> and I'm a, you know, like, it's not, I, I know it's a podcasting end to ending thing to say, but I hope we get to hang out a lot more and, um, we will be because I'm now in your, your writers mastermind group, which I haven't even began to peel the layers away and see what kind of magic's in there yet. Um, but I will tell you that I am on a three day writing streak because of it, which, nice. you know, I was getting, I'm, I've been working on a book that's, that is interesting. And I've talked to you a little bit before about it. I just, but I'm finally getting to the point where I feel like there's some bulk there that I can work with. And, uh, I've been resisting it because I know that it's important to me just from a, I know it's going to, like you said, I, I know that I don't know anything and I know that it's going to suck when I put it out there. Cause it really is my first book. I've, I've always done like journals and affirmation cards and stuff, but um, it's, it's that accountability, like in your group and, and Lily who's bless her. Like she's always been that person that's been there. Like, Hey, you should do this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't like, to hang out with people or do anything social. And she's like, yeah, but here's, it's, you know, a ticket to this public speaking event. Come with me. It's I'm giving it to you for free. And I'm just like, Lily, like, why are you so nice to me all the time? Um, 
you know, she, she was the one that brought me to story grid, which allowed me to meet you. I'm very thankful. Uh, where can everybody else find, you know, your work or your hub per se? Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, and I look forward to hanging out with you too. I, I have a feeling that as, as the world begins to heal, you and I are going to get together in real life, uh, in the near future. I can feel that. So I'm look, already looking forward to it. Um, yeah, the easiest thing to do is people t- can go to theauthorlife.com and uh, everything I do is there. There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the walls. There's a place called space where we'll face fuck conformity and the chatter of incompetence is slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory of smells that will assemble with our minds and sell to earth. guys enjoyed that episode uh it's pretty uh pretty scandalous and if you saw jay's hair and you saw heat's hair together you might want to braid them and when you start braiding them it makes you feel a little bit randy and you feel a little bit randy and you go find that guy with the 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 tongue and the ice cream on his waist and you you know you get a little bit wet yourself and you have a party. So, you know, if you wanna you wanna start playing with your belly button right now, just just stick a little finger in there and move it around. You play with your belly button. You play with your belly button and that that's creativity. Cause your mommy, you know, your mommy was connected to your belly button with the uh, umbilical cord when you came into the world, so so you touch that little belly button and you get all all of the great mother's creations. All the show notes, heatharmstrong.com uh, forward slash podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at Heath Fist Pumps. And get out there and play with your belly button.